What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Silver Screen and Roll post game show with me, Christian Rivas. And tonight I'm joined by Sabrina Merchant on a good night for the Lakers. The Lakers, who I think most people just buried alive in, in game one. Like, this is more or less the series or the, the type of series I was expecting from the Lakers uh, from game one. Obviously, we didn't get that, uh, but overall, a pretty good game. Uh, and for those that didn't get a chance to watch the game, the Lakers won 111 to 88, and that is not me misspeaking. They did win by that much after losing uh, in game one, and it was all thanks to Anthony Davis, who in game one, I don't want to say it was a non-factor because scoring 28 points is still scoring 28 points, but... He definitely didn't have the night he had on Thursday night, Sabrina. Um, before we get into anything really deep, uh, just your general thoughts on the game. Well, my first thought is that the Lakers won a playoff game for the first time in 3,016 days. So <laughs> uh, is... it's, it's been a minute. <laughs> Their last game uh, was May 18th. Right? 2012, I want to say. Game three of the Western Conference semifinals against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kobe Bryant led all scorers. Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol both had double doubles. Uh, Kevin like Durant. Practice led... for a Laker win. <laughs> Kevin Durant led OKC. Um, 34 points. Yeah, I, I remember that game. I remember it came after a game two when the Lakers blew a fourth quarter lead, and Andrew yeah. Bynum in the post game interview said, we were better than Santa. We just gave them a gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had convinced myself that they could have won that series. Like, whether or not it was true, I had convinced myself that they were just a better team than the Thunder because of their championship experience. They weren't. Uh, but what I can say with confidence today is that the Lakers are a better team than the Trailblazers. And I said that in my recap for Tuesday's game, and I got this weird, like, dm from a trailblazers fan saying like why would you say with all due respect the trailblazers uh are are not as good as they're given credit for you might as well not even have even put with all due respect and i'm like that's a fit it's a fair point mm -hmm. uh but i meant it with my whole heart the trailblazers <laughs> aren't a good basketball team all you need to do is be like an average offensive team to succeed against their defense I understand Zach Collins changes that equation a little bit, but not enough for it to matter. Like this is again, the series I was expecting mm -hmm. the performances, the type of performances I was expecting from Anthony Davis. Uh, so uh, not surprising, but still very good. Exactly. I mean, home court or not, you, you cannot go down to nothing in a series and expect to win. That's just not a tenable proposition. I mean, I think what, the teams who win the first two games of the series like have upwards of an 80% chance of winning, you know, the entire series. So that's just not a situation you want to put yourself in, whether or not it's against a good or not good basketball team in the Portland Trailblazers. But I think we saw a couple of things today. One is Anthony Davis should be the best player in the series. Right. Uh, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean most important because obviously LeBron James gets everything sort of started for the Lakers. He unlocks their offense in the half court and you saw him do that again just posting up Gary Trent over and over again in the first half. It was delightful. But Anthony Davis statistically should not be matched in this series. And I really love the way that he asserted himself from the get-go in this game. 
And he was just, mm-hmm. he was just so powerful today. Like, I think the problem we had with Anthony Davis in game one is that he felt a little soft. He was settling for jumpers. He wasn't, you know, going yes. hard at the basket. And today he just manhandled Yusuf Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, Carmelo Anthony, whoever was standing in between him and the basket. And it was exactly what we had hoped Anthony Davis would be. It's exactly what he was two years ago when the New Orleans Falcons played the Blazers in the playoffs. So yeah, that's the that- Davis. We wanted to see that's the Davis we needed to see. And the Lakers look like an entirely different team when he plays that way. That's the most frustrating thing about watching AD play, but especially against this team, is that every time Anthony Davis doesn't take the ball to the basket, like doesn't drive the ball to the basket against the Trailblazers, he's bailing them out. He's mm-hmm. doing them a humongous favor. I, I enjoy a good Anthony Davis fadeaway jumper off the dribble it looks really pretty when it goes Who doesn't um but sometimes yeah (laughs) sometimes it doesn't and the trailblazers can live with that type of inefficient shot what they can't deal with is anthony davis in the mid post dribbling the ball in between his legs and taking hassan wide and yusuf nurkic off the dribble like they're going to get cooked every time hassan whiteside is a good shot blocker but when that shot is Anthony Davis backing down on the post and, and attempting a hook shot. Hassan Whiteside is a large human being. That is <laughs> undeniable. Hassan Whiteside is also not a good defender, and, and neither is Yusuf Nurkic. So, I might um, quibble on the Nurkic part, but I'll, I'll give you you know the general well, theme. They do not yeah. have good interior defense. I'll allow that. Yeah. <laughs> he and so a, a few fun stats, uh, courtesy of Lakers media relations, that we can throw out. Uh, the Lakers set a franchise record with 14 three-pointers uh, made tonight, which is just hilarious when you think <laughs> about, like, the three-point era the that the NBA is in. Franchise yes. record, right? Yeah, okay. It was it, in the playoffs, yeah. correct. Because I think <laughs> Kobe has the – or had the all-time record with, I think, just – 12 or 13, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I do want to – the good point on uh, specifying playoff record um, – the last time they did it was May 8th, 2010. They, they scored 13 three-pointers, which, again, just sounds laughable in today's NBA. Uh, but, shoot, if you would have told me with how long the seeding games felt um, and how long the Lakers' shooting streak has felt, mm-hmm. if you told me the last time the Lakers made a three-pointer was May 8th, 2010, <laughs> I would have believed you. <laughs> the last time Danny um, Green made a three-pointer. <laughs> Yeah, and oh but my God, that is <laughs> that is still of all the problems the Lakers seemingly solved in Game Two. Uh, Danny Green certainly, Danny Green's shooting struggles certainly weren't one of them. Uh, we will get back to that. Uh, one more stat before we jump into anything else: uh, Anthony Davis became the first Lakers player and fifth player in the shot clock era to record at least thirty points and ten rebounds in fewer than thirty minutes played in the playoffs, um, and that is. Really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's uh, anything else you can add to that. Um, I don't know who I imagined would have done it before AD. I guess Shaq. I think it's the under 30 minutes, right? Like you need to have a yeah. really big lead to be able to sit out that many minutes in a playoff game. Right. So I um, overall a, a pretty good night for the Lakers. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and get into a little more detail on uh, – why the Lakers were successful, where they're still not as successful, uh, and what we can expect for the remainder of the series. So that'll be us when we get back. 
<laughs> so, okay. The Lakers, the Lakers media relations just sent out a clarification tweet okay. specifically for me. I imagine <laughs> they're listening to this podcast live somehow, uh, but they just sent a follow-up tweet just okay. saying this is a playoff record. Okay. <laughs> no sure. context. Just, just that. I so, thought they were going to say like the Lakers have actually hit like 16 plays in a playoff game before. He just forgot about it. You know? So it, it is not my fault. It is the way I read um, mm-hmm. the tweet. Um, but uh, moving on to bigger things, bigger themes uh, within the game. Outside of Anthony Davis, what else did you like uh, and, and what didn't you like? from from tonight's game i loved the defense um after game one i thought you know this is okay portland only scored 100 points this is what we're supposed to do uh no but i i wonder how many games we can continue to hold damon cj off and hey we did it again and it looked really good (laughs) uh the the coverages they were playing on dame like they just didn't really allow him any sort of space to pull up into threes which was delightful um CJ, like, oh my God, Kyle Kuzma as a perimeter defender. I, I know we talk about Kuzma a lot, <laughs> for better or for worse. I honestly think he's making more of an impact in the series on the defensive end than on the offensive end, which is just mind-boggling to think of. But every time he was matched up with CJ, he was just, you know, his feet were staying with him. You know, he was keeping his arms long. He was preventing CJ from getting a good angle to the basket. Like, right. the perimeter defense defenders were excellent. Um you know, even in the lane, like uh, Anthony Davis had some good rim protections. JaVale McGee was really good at the start of the game. Just defensively, rock freaking solid. And that's sort of been a through line for the Lakers in Orlando. You know, they've been really good defensively. It's just been hard to enjoy that because of the abject terror that is the other end of the floor. Yeah. But that continued even, I mean, it's fair to say that their defensive effort improved from game one. And that's something that you can expect to be consistent, you know, like, Offense, we just we don't know if the shots are going to go down, when they're going to go down, whatever. But this is the kind of intensity the Lakers can put on, and it just make it keeps them in every single game, which is just awesome. I think the type of offense the Lakers generated mm-hmm. tonight, they can bank on. Like, okay. yeah, you can you can always bank on Anthony Davis cooking Whiteside and Nurkic and whoever he has in front of him on mm-hmm. that specific team. Um, what they can't count on every night is KCP going four of six from three-point range, which <laughs> was a welcome sight. I cannot tell you the last time a Lakers player scored four three-pointers in a game, let alone on six Does attempts. Lakers media relations have that to <laughs> I think it might have honestly been uh, Marquise Morris against the Thunder. Um, uh, and then AD, too. 83 of four from, from three-point range. Which, it's funny, every time we? he takes a three, I'm with you. Like, I feel like he's bailing out the defense, but I get it. It's hard to go into the paint every single time. You practice yeah. your jumper, let it fly once or twice, you know. I'm okay with the four attempts. I'm okay. 36.8% shooting from three as a team, which is the biggest number I've seen in a while. Who are we? Yeah. <laughs> it feels feels good. Uh, feels good looking at it. Um, but to your point about the defense, and specifically Kyle Kuzma's defense, my favorite part of the game was a possession in the first quarter where Kyle Kuzma locked up CJ McCollum on the defensive end. Um, and then on the other end of the floor, I don't know if the ball just went out of bounds or a foul was called, but after that play, Kuzma was alone on the other side of the floor and hyped himself up, hyped himself up for getting that stop. Like he was so proud of himself. He knew he did that and led to whatever turnover, uh, 
Portland had. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's kind of been the story for Kuzma in the bubble is he's hanging his hat on the defensive end. He knows the Lakers need him in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's patting, rightfully patting himself on the back for how far he's come uh, on that end. And I, I commend him for the amount of work he's put in again, like, like, like you said, we do talk about Kyle Kuzma a lot on this, on this pod, but with the way he's played lately and the growth he's shown, I think he's warranted that type of conversation. Uh, so shout out to Kuz, shout out to the Lakers for playing defense at a high level, which we knew they could do. Um, but the, the trailblazers, even before they got into the bubble were just a dynamite offensive team. Mm-hmm. Obviously the tip, like the spark that makes them go is Damian Lillard. Uh, and they, Honestly, I don't know if this was me just like hyper focusing on Alex Caruso like I tend to do sometimes. <laughs> uh, but Alex Caruso looked really good on Damian Lillard in the in the possessions that he defended him. I don't know if that was part of the game plan or you know if Alex Caruso was feeling more healthy than he did uh, in Game One. But I definitely noticed that shift in Game Two. I'm just looking at these individual defensive ratings from today's game. Alex Caruso's defensive rating was forty eight point six. Okay, well then I, it wasn't it wasn't just me then. <laughs> it wasn't just me romanticizing. It's so Kyle funny. Sixty five point one, like Anthony Davis seventy point five. These are obviously this is just one game samples in a you know in a game when Portland was objectively bad on offense, like not just due to the Lakers, but because of their own self inflicted wounds. But forty five, like what is that? I so the the crazy thing about Caruso is, I mean, outside of the big three that he hit, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to call it a big three when the lead was so big, but it was big because it's the first one he's hit in a while. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like contested. It was <laughs> off of a real nice pass. Uh, it was an aesthetically pleasing three, um, but outside of that, like he had that dunk in game one mm-hmm. that spark the Lakers going on the run in my opinion right, uh, it might be a little quarter, biased, right. but yeah <laughs> um and but outside of that he has not been much of a threat on offense mm-hmm. and yet in the box score he's still a god uh and I think that's why you like that's why you have to continue giving him minutes mm-hmm. I pray that the imminent return of Rondo doesn't take those minutes away because I think the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought seeing Dion waiters and J.R. Smith was very interesting. Um, I'm always down for some J.R. Smith minutes. I think one of his first possessions was that nasty pass he made to, um, or Dwight. Yeah. One or the other. And I thought that was really cool. And then he started taking guys off of the dribble. (laughs) And if you look at the shooting percentage, uh, you can you can see how that went. Uh, mm-hmm. But three three pointers, like if you can count on Jr. for three three pointers, he's already more valuable than half the guards <laughs> on the team. Yeah, it's funny because you know we we went out with the same starting lineup that the Lakers have had: Javale, Dwight. I'm sorry, Javale, Anthony, Braun, uh, KCP, and Danny Green. And like I think most of us expected there to be a change. You obviously wrote about why the Lakers needed to change their starting lineup. Right. Harrison wrote about why Danny Green is just been disaster um <laughs> but i think we all you know thought that there was gonna be at least one change to the starting lineup and frank did not make any changes and to me that sort of indicated that he wasn't going to be flexible at all with the rotations right and that was the case right like you saw 
J.R. Smith getting those uh, Caruso KCP minutes in the second quarter, like real meaningful minutes, right? Um, and he just sort of added something different, right? Like that that was a big lineup that the Lakers were going with. It was J.R., Kuz, Braun, Keefe, and Dwight, which I think uh, – other than JR, everybody's at least what six nine in that lineup, which is it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, Kuz was playing the two for a little bit, I which think he was actually playing point. Like he was bringing the ball up, and JR was the two. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it's just it's nice to see. Even if Vogel was unwilling to change the starting lineup, like there was still some flexibility with the rotations, and that bodes well, you know, moving forward. Just from a holistic perspective, in my opinion. One last question for you before we go. Um, Danny Green obviously didn't have a great night once again. One of six from the field, one of four from three, uh, but was still a plus 21 in the box score. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only players that were actually negatives in the box score were JR, Dwight, Dudley, and Cook. Uh, But in Dudley and Cook's defense, it was like, it was garbage time. Um, They only, they played less than eight minutes. Um, With Danny Green who played the third most minutes of anybody on the floor in spite of mm-hmm. his shooting struggles. Um, do you continue, if, if you're Frank Vogel, do you com- continue to commit to Danny Green and with the hope that he breaks out of the shooting slump? Or do you start to minimize his role a bit until, you know, he figures it out in whatever smaller role he has? I think as long as he's providing you something on the defensive end, which he was much better there than he was yeah. in game one, you have to keep playing him because it takes a long time for defensive scouting reports to adjust and they still treat green as a shooter. He still has that gravity, you know, outside of the three point line. And that matters. Even if the shots are not going in, even if it's dispiriting to watch him pass up wide open three pointers and go in for contested floaters, <laughs> which what are you doing? Yeah. Um, I, he also had just like one like bobble in the fast break where like somebody just passed him the ball and it just sort of like fell out of his hands. I don't, I don't even know if there was any like pressure that led to that, but. And he, he tried to do a lob attempt, which <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we didn't the lob work or I not the not the one that I saw. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many lob attempts he had. Um, I don't know if I just mentally check out when Danny Green has the ball these that's days, funny. but not yeah, he the got one, one um, assist to Javale. So maybe that's the lob that I'm thinking of. But it's quite possible he he just completely effed up. <laughs> maybe one of his floaters looked like maybe a lob assist to me. <laughs> um, but no, I I tend to agree. Um, obviously, Danny Green hasn't looked as mobile on the defensive end since the season restarted, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, you can't fault him for too much. I mean, he is 33 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, I mean, even before the season, there were times where people asked the question like, oh, well, I think Danny Green might be just washed now. Like, whatever role he played in the Spurs system or whatever, um, he just he can't play anymore under somebody else's system, and this is just who Danny Green is. Um, I don't agree with that because obviously, I, I think some people were saying that with um, at least on the defensive end with Danny Green last year with the Raptors. Obviously, offensively, he was hot dynamite, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but Danny this year, I think if he's not going to be making his three pointers, he needs to be rock solid on the de- defensive end. Don't know if I can confidently say he's there yet, uh, but Thursday was certainly a step in the right direction. I'm hoping for more good Danny Green news going forward. Um, not that, you know, his 
shooting line from Thursday was necessarily good news. Uh, no, it was but not. The fact, but the fact that he was still a positive in the box score, uh, I think, is genuinely very promising. And, um, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to add, Sabrina, I think that about covers every thought I've, I had about this game. Yeah, I just want to say that it was I was really happy watching this game. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's that might have been, you know, conveyed in my tone throughout the first, you know, 20 minutes or so of this podcast, right. but we waited a very long time for the Lakers to get back into the playoffs. Forget the fact that we covered the team and it's, you know, more beneficial for us for the Lakers to be in the playoffs. We're yeah. Laker fans. Mm-hmm. And it has sucked that this day <laughs> has been more important every year because the lottery happened instead of it being, you know, a day in the playoffs. And not only did we not have to care about what order those envelopes were revealed in, <laughs> which, thank goodness, um, we got to watch a really good team, a really good Lakers team that looked more like a pre-hiatus team than any other iteration of right. the scrimmage or seeding games. We got to watch them win a playoff game. It's been a very long time, and I just had such a good time watching it. <laughs> I just Is this... want people to know that. But this was fun, and I would like more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your expectation for the rest of the series? I expect them to continue to bring it like this on defense. I don't expect Portland to shoot this poorly, um, which I don't even know if they shot that poorly or if it was just like they weren't getting anything because the Lakers were just bottling them up. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't expect them to score 88 points, I should say. Like that yeah. is an unreasonable expectation. But I expect the Lakers to be better than them. For the rest of the series. Right. And I also expect LeBron, like for all the positives to take away from Thursday, LeBron James was not great. Like at least for the first half. I thought what he did just like unlocking the offense, you know, in the half court, because yeah. that's, that's important. Like he may not show up on the box score. And I, I thought he was like unnecessarily casual at times, but I'm glad you brought up LeBron because that mic'd up session of him oh, yeah. <laughs> asking for the ball back is my favorite moment of the playoffs. <laughs> it was a good one. I don't know who, um, I think they mic'd up Wenyan Gabriel, the and first game, won, yes. the trailblazers. I didn't get that. Uh, but you know, whatever gets him his next contract, I guess. <laughs> uh, the Lakers will be back at it on Saturday. Game starts at 5.30, not 6 o'clock, and it'll be on ABC uh, and not available anywhere else. That hasn't been a problem with me since the postseason started. Uh, but before that, any game that was on Spectrum Sportsnet was my least favorite game because Frontier sucks. Uh, so I don't know if you'll be hearing from me. We don't. We usually don't podcast on weekends. I don't know if our plan is to podcast uh, on Saturday, but uh, I don't know if you'll hear from me or anyone. But you will. You can definitely follow us uh, on Twitter at Rad Rebus and. Sabrina at Sabrina uh, JM, is that correct? That is correct. Got it. I'm a good, I'm a good co-host. Um, and everything is on Silver Screen Roll, obviously. Yes. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, if you liked today's podcast or any of the, the episodes prior to it, make sure to leave us a nice little review on podcasts. Uh, subscribe to our channel because we have all kinds of good shows throughout the week. Um, and we will see you next time.